0: Following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. So, for our last Advent sermon before Christmas, we're going to zero in uh, on Luke's account of the birth of Jesus. Luke, of all the gospel writers, gives the most detail, and we're going to get a look today at a very glorious angelic announcement to some shepherds, okay? So I hope that you found Luke 2, and as I said, we're reading verses 1 through 20. It's a decent chunk of text here, Uh, so let's get to work, all right? While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Praise God for his word. Amen. It's all good, but that's real good. All right, let's work through this together. Come back to verses 1 and 2 for me. It's, it's often talked about that, that Luke was a doctor. Okay? And if you haven't heard that before, if you hang around Bible teaching or uh, you know, scripture teaching for very long, you'll, you'll probably hear that Luke, the, the writer of this gospel, was a doctor. But it is also incredibly awesome and important that he was also a skilled historian. Okay? Luke was a doc, but he was also really good at what he did here In this gospel. Let me read to you just this is Luke 1 through 4. He's kind of laying out the purpose and intent he has in writing this gospel account. Here's what he says: Since many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the Word, it seemed fitting to me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in an orderly sequence, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. Okay? Luke didn't sit down to write, uh, this wasn't a creative writing essay. Okay? This wasn't a fictional narrative. This is a historic account. And we don't just see that in his intent, we see it in the way it's laid out. This this bit here we see in the beginning, the first two verses, about Augustus and Quirinius, it's super important, okay? It anchors the events of Christ's birth in a verifiable historic time frame, okay? And this is one of the reasons why those who sometimes sloppily claim that the Bible is just like other ancient myths and fables, when people claim that, they're, they're mistaken. It's not. It's totally different than those. This, what we see right here, what, what Luke does, saying, okay, this is when it happened. It happened in the reign of Augustus Caesar and while Quirinius was the, the regional guy. That's, that's a lot of detail and it locks it into a very specific time frame. So now it's accountable to that, okay? This happened when this other stuff that everybody knew about was happening, okay? Maybe just us Christians or us, us, us Jews and the people of God, maybe we're the only ones that care about the details that we're talking about, but every, this happened at a time when other things were happening and everybody would have known, okay? This, this isn't once upon a time stuff here, all right? That, that matters, all right? You don't seem like it matters to you yet, but I'm gonna get you to where it matters, I promise. We're gonna work it till it happens, amen? All right, so here's, here's what I want you to know. Caesar Augustus' actual name was Octavian, okay? He was the great nephew of Julius Caesar, He rose to singular power and became the first actual emperor of Rome after defeating Mark Antony in the Battle of Actium in 31 BC. Okay, so Mark Antony, he's uh, hanging out with Cleopatra, if you know what I mean, all right? They're uh, an item. So she, with some of her wealth, they bring a bunch of warships up. Octavian's got his... uh, uh, Mark Antony and Cleopatra outnumbered Octavian, but he had better strategy, so he ends up whooping him. Okay, and then he becomes the, the the first term applied to him is Imperator, which it was it was like the leader of all the armies, but then it, it kind of morphed into this thing of emperor. All right, um, and, and and as I said, Rome was a republic before that, but now we see it moving more towards this kind of monarchy situation. All right, um, and being that we're Westerners, we're like, ooh, no, monarchy. But it actually helped a lot because Rome was jacked before that because of all the civil war and infighting. Okay, Um, So before he took the name Caesar Augustus and the title of emperor, uh, Rome was a republic, but it was ravaged by civil war for a long time. Um, Octavian's consolidation of power put to an end all of that, and it brought peace for the most part to the entire Mediterranean basin. All right, so and that's a big portion of the populated ancient world. It's a lot of people. All right. So at, at this point, I can I can almost hear some gears turning. Some of you are worried that I'm just history geeking out on you, but I promise you, this has absolute, super, like vital importance for this text and for us to understand why th- that this matters. So just give me a second, and I'm, I'll show you. All right. So, this is important and it's for at least a few reasons. The first reason I've already told you, all right? Luke's gospel was written most likely around 60 AD. That's, you know, lots of people argue and you average them all out, you end up probably around 60 AD somewhere. So, there were people still alive for sure, okay? When this gospel was written and circulated who could have called Bullpucky if he was making stuff up, right? If he would have just pulled some, random caesar name out you know and, he's, and, and it's it's a it's a fable like other things where he's like and and in the time when hercules was slaying you know the hydra or whatever this was 60 years later right so somebody been like uh, ha- actually no that didn't happen then right so th- that's that's part of what makes this different it's not like other stories from a long long time ago and that's all you know right luke says this is when this happened during the reign of these two guys all right so <clears throat> and so let me give you a reference point for that. So Luke's recording of the birth of Jesus, okay? The birth of Jesus, it'd be like us talking about when Elvis Presley was at the top of his game and Dwight Eisenhower was president, okay? Just, just to kind of put it in, in a framework for you. So that, now granted, that was a while ago, but it's not so long ago that people wouldn't know if we made Elvis or Eisenhower up right? Was there, is anybody in here alive and brave enough to say, you were alive when Elvis was at the top of his game? We got anybody? Amen. Alright. Barely. You, were, <laughs> you, you lived in the, in the wave of uh, cultural change that his hips began. Amen. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's a whole different sermon. Let's just get away from that right now. Uh, now, so that's, that's one thing. Now, let's think about this. Luke's gospel doesn't just record the birth of Jesus. It, it records the life of Jesus. And at the end, it's recording the death and crucifixion and, and, and uh, resurrection of Jesus, right? So Luke's recording of the birth would have been like 60 years ago. So Elvis Eisenhower, his recording of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, it'd be like us talking about when boys to men ruled the Billboard Hot 100 chart. Okay. I think in 92, it was a song called End of the Road. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, somebody knows about that. I had not heard it before, but I did. Well, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Although I had never heard it before, and just because I was looking at stuff, I, I was on a YouTube video, and it's pretty catchy. I'm, I must say, I can hear it in my head right now. I understand why, why it was at the top. So... But what's my point? When Luke's recording about the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, the time frame from when he's writing that down to when it happened be the same as us talking about when, you know, Boys to Men, Mariah Carey, they were rocking the billboard chart, and, and George H.W. Bush was president. So that's really, I mean, for some of us, that seems like yesterday, right? You know, like that's not that long ago. Amen. Some of you probably still get into a little boys to Men every once in a while. Now... <clears throat> And l- let me say this, because I know I probably have some of you in here. For those of you who were only listening to Christian music in 1992, is, uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman or Carmen would be your reference point. Okay? <laughs> Righteous invasion of truth. We need a riot. Who knows about that? Raise your hand right now if you know what I'm talking about. Okay, here's... If, wow, that's sad. Either a bunch of you weren't saved yet or you just didn't know about awesome Christian music in the, in the early 90s. Here's your homework. If you do not know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about Carmen, you have to go home this week and Google Carmen's greatest hits. And, and I want to hear about it because you're missing a vital piece of church history if you don't know about Carmen in the 90s. That's a big deal, man. That's, <laughs> that's a big deal. Okay. So, so first of all, you know, you, you, could, you could read this, okay, when Caesar Augustus was reigning, Quirinius was governor, and you could like, okay, that's just, that's just intro stuff. No, man, it's so crucial. Luke did it on purpose, because he was seeking to write an accurate account of all that happened. And he wasn't afraid to hold himself accountable to the facts, okay? And so that is a big deal, but it gets even cooler than that when you think about these historic details being included, Okay. Look, look at verses 3 through 7. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. So another historic fact. A census was being taken. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, The days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now let me me read you this from the prophet Micah 700-ish years before the events being recorded here. This is Micah 5, starting in verse 2. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah... From you, one will come forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His times of coming forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remainder of his kinsmen will return to the sons of Israel, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will remain. Because at that time, he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. Okay? 700-ish years before it happened, God speaks this and has this written down through the prophet Micah. You've got to ask yourself this question, guys. Why on God's green earth would Joseph travel 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem with his pregnant wife? How- Here's the problem we have so far. Gabriel visits Mary where? In Nazareth, 80 miles from Bethlehem, which is where the prophecy said the Messiah was going to be born. We have a problem. You might think 80 miles, okay, you're figuring that up. Uh, You know, hour and a half. No, man, not, not the way they traveled then. This is a mission to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem with a pregnant lady. That's all I'm going to say about that. I, pregnant ladies are awesome. We love them. Thank you for fostering life in the human race. Very appreciative. Okay. Um, <laughs> what, so, so how do you get that done? Well, here's, here's what's interesting. Caesar Augustus thought in giving this decree, he was getting everyone lined up to tax them real good. Okay. So he had a purpose in his mind for making this decree. Everyone go to your hometown and register. We want to know how many people we got here. And we want to know how to tax them. Yeah, amen. Praise the Lord for that. No, amens. I didn't think so. So, he, and, and and Caesar probably thought it was pretty cool that he was ruler over a larger number of people than 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 ever before in history up to that point. Very likely. Like when 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 Octavian takes the title Caesar Augustus, the Republic of Rome has it's you know the. the the expansion of Rome has been happening. It's a big place with big borders and a lot of people. I mean, to the, to the degree that when they describe it to them, it almost looks like they're telling the whole world, right? Now, we know there was other peoples in other places, but and, and man, this, this was so big and, and, and such the center of human society at the time, right? Most trade that was happening with any other people groups that was coming through there, right? This, this, was, this was the hub and he was the guy. And he thought, I'm the man. I'm the emperor. And so I'm going to tell everybody, everybody, they got to go to their hometown and register. So he had a purpose in his mind. But the prophet Micah said 700 years before that happened that by the power of the Spirit, he wrote by the power of the Spirit that a ruler of Israel whose coming forth was from the days of eternity, that's not ambiguous would be born in Bethlehem. What's my point? My point is, Caesar Augustus thought he was doing something specific and certain, men, but, but there was a higher purpose going on. There was a reason why Jesus came when he came. It gets even bigger than that. It doesn't end there. Because as I told you before, before Augustus consolidated power, things were really messed up in the Roman Empire. The trade had almost come to a standstill the roads were not safe. It was, it was not a good place. And there was constant civil war breaking out. So, but what we see is under his reign and then the subsequent emperors after him for roughly the next couple hundred of years, trade and travel within the empire flourished, which made the conditions prime for the spreading of the gospel after Jesus commissioned his disciples to do it. That's more awesome than you're acting like. Do you understand what I'm saying? People may think, why didn't Jesus come in David's time? Why don't we just replace David with Jesus? Get things cracking way back then? Why didn't Jesus come later than he did? Why didn't Jesus come when Elvis did? Some people probably thought he did. People think he's coming every decade. <laughs> you know, there's a new one every decade. Why did he come when he came? Do you see the strategic brilliance of God? And that in that exact time, you you had this incredibly large empire that within it, trade and travel would be able to happen. It it wasn't happening. Civil War was keeping it from happening. And right when this guy pops up, consolidates power, now now you can travel on the roads and it's safe. Now travel can open up within the empire and then with even the surrounding uh, boundary nations and tribes and peoples. Now people are going to be moving a lot more. Now if, now it's safe to go around, now it's safe to stand in the market and have a conversation about, I don't know, the Savior of the universe showing up. Man, and this that's just I'm just that's just one thing we can point out and see. I don't know what all God's brilliance was, was planning and hatching when Jesus came, exactly when he came, but that's clear. That's obvious. Jesus was born in the time of Caesar Augustus. Man, God's really smart. I thought you'd be more excited about that than you are. I don't know if you're just trying to process it or if, if these history dots are connecting in my head easier than they are for you because I've been thinking about it. I've been all stoked on it. I can't wait to get up here. I, hey, do you guys understand what it means? This, this was the time of Caesar Augustus. Do you get it? Right? So I'm maybe, you know, I've been able to chew on it longer than you. Maybe tomorrow you wake up like, oh, Caesar Augustus. I get it. Oh, it's so awesome. I'm really excited about it. <clears throat> I, I hope you are. And here's, here's kind of a summary statement of that. Rome, Rome and its emperors thought that they were kings on the cosmic chessboard, and it turns out they were pawns. Because the real king was just moving them the way he wanted to get his will done. Amen. There, you got it. No, you needed a chess reference. I'll do more of those. I like chess, so we, we can do that. Amen. And here's I just want to say this to you, friends, I'm real serious about it if we take <clears throat> if we take that truth that I just shared with you and we translate it to all the reasons we have to wring our hands about current geopolitical situations, it'll help us. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, amen. I could very easily jump into a field of landmines and roll around in there off that statement, but I think you get what I'm saying. There's all kinds of reasons you could be freaked out right now about things going on in the world, what you think political powers are doing. You might hate what the Republicans are doing. You might hate what the Democrats are doing. You might think, oh, this is the end of everything. Well, (laughs) things looked pretty crazy in the time Jesus was born into as well. And the people in power thought they were doing stuff. And they were, but they had no idea that they, they were pawns. And the real king was getting his will done. No reason to believe that's any different today. So think about that and take a deep breath and turn the news off for a second and read your Bible. Amen. Glory. All right, verses eight through 14. Let's keep moving. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them <laughs> why are the angels always popping up on people like that? Like come from a distance, bro. You know what I mean? Why why is it like all this all of a boom, he's there, right? With the glory of the Lord. Ah, you know? I don't know. It's not very considerate. It's already going to be I mean, give them a quarter mile warning. It's still like what is that light? Like hold on, man. What's Maybe that's the thing. Maybe maybe they would run. I don't know. They're smarter than me. I should just be quiet about it. The Lord's doing whatever he wants to do. <laughs> like all right, go down there and sneak up on them. <laughs> angel's like, yes, I'm going. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keep watch of their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people, for all the people. Mm. Amen. For today in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Now, I've told you each week as we've been working through this Advent series, we're following kind of a, a traditional order for the weeks of Advent, in addition to using these angelic announcements to kind of chart our course uh, through this series. So each of the weeks uh, represents some of the goodness of God given to us in Christ. And so the order of, of this particular tradition is, is that it's four weeks, so it's, it's hope, peace, joy, and love. And so that puts us at love today. Uh, and, and I contend that we actually see all four very vibrantly in this passage. And so let's just work through it again. Um, and I'm going to ask you as we work through it, you, you be looking, I'm going to point them out to you, but you look for them with me or, you know, maybe you, you already see them. So let's, let's look at verse eight. So in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. There's lots to be said about the fact that the first to hear, the first to have an angelic announcement about the actual birth of Christ happening were shepherds. Uh, there's been much said, there's been much ink spilled over the reality of, of shepherds in that day. That um, you know, Some have claimed their, their testimony didn't even count in court. They weren't highly regarded. Uh, they were kind of looked upon as, as scoundrels um, by some. There's, there's some though, and this, this is not told to us in the scripture, so hold, just hold this lightly, if at all. But I, to me, the thought of it is so cool, I just want to mention that, it, that it's a possibility. Because man, it's, it's cool. Some, some have said that the shepherds in Bethlehem, particularly, the ones in Bethlehem were known to tend the flocks that were used for sacrifice in the temple. Hmm, Look, I don't know for sure, but I'm just trying to say, if that's true, that's deep. I mean, I could run with that all day. That could be the rest of the sermon. So, anyways, you can go. You can go Google why people think that is or isn't the case. But it wouldn't surprise me one bit if these guys tended temple flocks. Man, it just God would. That's just the little kind of stuff he he does just to show off. It's so cool. Amen. And if you're like, why would that be cool? Come talk to me afterwards if you have time. (laughs) Don't plan on leaving soon because, man, I want to preach. I want to preach. Oh, man, I want to preach about that so bad. I don't even know if it's true, but, man, just the thought of it, mm, that's good. Okay, verse 9. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. So here it is again, we've got the radiance, and we've been seeing this all from, from Zechariah forward, all these angelic announcements, we see the radiance of God's glory striking holy fear in folks, um, and, and an angel having to say, hold up, man, I've got good news, it's okay, you're not about to die, <laughs> right? So again, I just that, that's a consistent theme through all of these that we've seen, and I think it would be good for us, it would be right for us to... Spend time praying and thinking about why that is. Why when, when the partial radiance of God's glory reflected in the countenance of an angel comes into contact with regular men, do they oftentimes end up struck with such fear that they need to be comforted? What is it? What, is, what does it say about the distance between us and God in terms of holiness? What does it say about the radiance of his majesty? I mean, and, and how many other accounts, I mean, we got Isaiah in the temple. There's so many other times in the scriptures where when, when, somebody, when somebody gets a look at even, at even some of the, the revealing of God's glory, man, you know, Isaiah's like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. I'm a man of unclean lips. God help me, right? And then and at the end of it, when he finds out he's not going to be smited, he says, well, here I am, send me. I've, I've seen the Lord's glory. And you know, I don't know where everyone stands on this. I'm just going to tell you right now. You you can pray that the Lord would show you that and it can come in different ways, man. You can see, you can see a glimpse of the Lord's go- glory reading your Bible. Anybody else ever had that happen, man, where you're reading the scriptures? Come on. That's true, right? you're reading the scriptures, you just minding your business, just reading the scriptures, didn't expect to have this profound moment, and then all of a sudden, man, the glory of the Lord leaps off the pages, man. There's this illumination that happens, and God, by his spirit, just shows you something that there's no way you could have seen yourself. It's incredible. God, and God can do this all different kinds of ways, man, but it's, it's okay to ask him, Lord, to the degree that I can handle it, and not wet myself and die of fear, show me your glory. I want to see your glory. There's nothing wrong with that. Unless you're scared. whoa. <laughs> oh, what? No, you, you might be once it happens, but that's good. It's good for us. The Bible says we walk, walk out our salvation with fear and trembling, man. There, there should be a very holy reverence. I'm talking about the presence of God, the character of God, the holiness of God. Amen. Uh, 10. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. So I told you, I see pretty, pretty easily here all four of, of these weeks that we've talked about, the, the hope, peace, joy, and love. Uh, here in verse 10, this announcement of it being good news. So their initial reaction to this angelic encounter is fear. Fear. But quickly, the angel says, well, hold on, it's okay, I've got good news for you. And right there, that's that's enough to turn you from fear to hope, right? And so already, they haven't even got the details yet, but it's like, uh, if if you're worried that this is an angel here to strike you down, <laughs> or, or you're overwhelmed by the, the power and presence of this angel, um, for him to say, it's okay, I've got good news, that would be a very hopeful statement. So, And that's, you know, the whole thing is soaked with hope, it, it's... Pretty obvious, But here we also see that this news sh- should bring joy, right? It spells that out for us. This is good news. It's going to bring great joy. And, and is, it, is it great joy just for the shepherds? Who's it for, Love City? For all people. He didn't come and say, "Who come on. He didn't come and say great joy for Israel, did he? Now, it is great joy for Israel, isn't it? Yes, it is. But we already, look, man, we already see We already see the the width and breadth and depth of God's great plan of redemption being unfolded here for us to get a look at. For all the people, this is great joy for all the people. Mm, Did they even understand what that meant? They probably thought all the people meant the people of Israel, but it meant more than that. Come on. Amen. It meant you and me. Is this announcement still mean great joy for you? I'm not letting you leave here today until it does. So get happy about it. This is great joy for me that a Savior that I need is born. I need him. You need him. And we have him by faith. Great joy. And that's what verse 11 should lead us to. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Man. To the one who knows they need one, the announcement of a savior is incredibly good news. Because once you realize I can't save myself, once you realize Quirinius can't save me, once you realize Caesar Augustus can't save me, once you realize that all of the other power structures in the world can't save me, it can't do what needs to be done on the inside of me. It might be able to make peace on the outside. It might be able to make wars less frequent. It might be able to afford me some peace of comfort in this temporal plane. But what it can't do, none of those things can save me can do what needs to be done in me on the inside. Only Christ the Savior can do that. And these guys got the first word that he was born. No wonder they got up and hustled. Let's go quickly and see what this is about. Amen. Amen. Normally I don't need a spit rag. Today might be the day. God, that's good. To the one who, guys, to the one who knows that they need a savior, this isn't just good news. That's underselling it. This is the best news. The best. Top. You ain't getting any better. Amen. Verse 12. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And so we see here, we see God again. He He did it through Micah with the specifics about where Jesus would be born in terms of Bethlehem. But we see God here giving more specific details to these shepherds so there's no confusion. Because they go running into Bethlehem just looking for a baby. You might find multiple babies. But you run into Bethlehem looking for a baby, particularly wrapped in cloths, but also lying in a manger. Now you're probably going to be on the right track. Not too many people were laying their babies in a feed trough. Right? But it was all orchestrated, you see. Don't you, don't you understand that, that <laughs> Micah said that all this was laid out from eternity past. I mean, the, the, the supreme Council of the will of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, man. Can you imagine getting to be in that meeting? All right, here, let's, we're going we're gonna to redeem these people. First of all, let this blow your mind. So we're going to make people because we want to love them. But then they're going to mess up and then we're going to need to save them. How do we want to do that? Here's what would be cool. You know what would be really cool? We'll have him born in Bethlehem. That'll be the city of David. Oh, man, that'll tie together. Oh, that'll show some beautiful prophetic synergy between the whole thing. And then then we'll have the prophet Micah tell him that it's going to be in Bethlehem. And then we'll have an angel pop up and scare these shepherds and tell him that he's in a trough lying in a manger. What? It's so awesome, man. And and because like God's omniscient and I don't know, do they have to talk to each other? Probably not. It, that all happened like instantaneously in gigaseconds, right? But whatever. Don't get don't get too messed up on that. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't that long ago that Max hit me with, so Dad. So before anything was created, was was God just falling? I was like, oh, snap. Um, my man, that's a really good question. <laughs> no, I don't think so, but uh, we, we can't be totally sure. Was, was God in an in a eternal free fall until he created the, the, the universe as it is? I don't know. Um, the heavens and the earth and a throne to sit on? I, I don't know. I don't know what he was doing. I assume he was floating, but I don't know why. Maybe free falling was funner. I, Max, you might be right, dude. Bro, I don't know. Secret things belong to the Lord, don't they? Amen. Let's get off of that. <clears throat> so we, we see God giving specific details so there's, there's no confusion. We don't want the shepherds running in to, to you know, some, some baby named Daniel that just happened to also be born. We want him to find Jesus. So they find him in the manger, find him laying in a feeding trough. So God's trying to eliminate confusion as the shepherds go in and give them very specific details, which is how God does stuff, which is another reason why this is not a myth or a fable like others. Okay, very specific. But there is, he's trying to eliminate confusion in finding Jesus, but there's still potential confusion, I I would think, as these guys are probably trying to figure out why the Savior and ruler of Israel was laid in a feed trough in a manger right? And not upon the, the finest silk pillows in a palace. That, that would be a little like, what? Hold on. I, I could almost think to see these guys wondering, like, did we just have a group hallucination with the, with the glory to God and the highest and the angelic? Like, did that angel just say, the long-awaited savior, the ruler of Israel that Micah talked about, is laying in a, in a what now? In a feed trough? That's not what you would expect. You would expect, I mean, this is the ruler of rulers. This is God incarnate. You would expect him to, you know, land in a palace coated in 24 karat gold and all of the luxury that earth has to offer. That's not what happens. It would also be confusing why this angelic announcement came to lowly blue-collar shepherds and not the cultural elite or the power players of the day. Hold on, man. These guys, nobody else even likes these guys. Nobody else even trusts these guys. These are, these are just shepherds. They just take care of sheep. How hard is that? It's the same ridicule that David's brothers had for him. Man, go back and tend those few sheep in the wilderness. Very interesting, though, that Moses spent time as a shepherd. David spent time as a shepherd. Jesus is announced first to some shepherds, and then one of the many names that he goes by is the chief shepherd. Something to that, obviously. But here's the thing. They may have been confused about, like, why us? Why are we the ones hearing about this? Why are we going to look for the king of the universe in a feed trough? None of this is making sense. But what they, they didn't know was that some wealthy men also saw a sign. They saw a star that they followed and they brought Jesus gifts that were fitting for a king. We see that recorded in Matthew 2. And so... One thing I think we should just note from that is that this is, this is one way the Bible busts to pieces our false ideas about righteousness being tied to socioeconomic status. Doesn't it? Because both lowly shepherds and rich magi were invited to worship Jesus, and they did. Hmm. That says a lot. That probably challenges some perceptions you have about people with different levels of money than you. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Chew on that a bit. It'll be good for you. All right. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. I told you it's, it's hope. Peace, joy, and love. And so here we see peace again plainly laid out. Peace among men. What is that that talking about? With whom he is pleased. Well, first of all, just finding out that God is pleased with us at all is a miracle. That's amazing. And that this Savior is coming to make peace possible with the one who is still decided, he's decided to be pleased with us and love us, even though we're wretched. He's sent Jesus to be born to be the way that legally he could have what he always intended to have which was us and him forever what Eden was intended to be now unfortunately this middle part is playing I'm not going to say it had to play out I probably tend to think it it, it did because it did and God let it so boy that's a logic circle let's not get hung up in there it's like a roundabout get out um, but here's what I want to show you. So I've I've shown you, I mean, if you don't see hope in here, again, come see me afterwards, but be playing, you know, bring a granola bar. Uh, There's hope here, obviously. Peace here, obviously. It's spelled out for us. Joy, great joy for all the people. So it's all here, man. But where do we see love? Where do we see love? And, And friends, first of all, I would say it's, gosh, it's this, if you could pick this text up and hold it up, it's so saturated with love, it would just be dripping through your fingers. I mean, gosh, but it's all throughout. And and we see the love of God in all of this. And there's something I want, there's a distinction I want to make here before I I explain maybe a deeper way that it's present here. I want you to know, if you don't already, we we are careful here, and I mean at, at Love City, to make sure that we are always reminded That the gospel is not about us. It's about Jesus. Can you say amen to that? The gospel is not about you. It's about Jesus. And and so we, we believe that. We believe the gospel is not about us, but saints, it is a precious and priceless gift to us, okay? So we are in the discussion. We want to make sure front and center of the gospel is Jesus. It's about him, right? He is the hero of the story. It's not us, that's for sure. You guys can buy that, right? He's the hero. Amen. It's not about us primarily, but it is a precious gift to us. So we're in the orbit of the conversation. There'd be no need for a gospel if it wasn't for us, the ones who needed it. Amen? Amen. Okay. And and we see the love of God throughout this text in, in pouring out these gifts of hope and peace and joy Upon us. These are, these are in, eternal gifts. These are imperishable gifts, and they're unmatched in their value and worth. I don't know what you might be excited about getting this Christmas or what you might be excited about giving this Christmas, but whatever gifts you have on your mind, they, they literally are just trinkets of dust compared to peace, eternal peace, hope, and joy in Christ. It's like, blah whatever, right? And to the degree that you can understand that and affirm that statement, I I would just encourage you to press into it more and more. Like maybe you're convinced of it because I sound really convinced and and that's enough for you, but I want you to think about it. Go beyond just, well, Pastor Ben said it. I, I want you to be able to, if someone comes and asks you like, hey, so like eternal peace, joy, and love, you think those are a pretty big deal? Like good, those are good gifts from God? I want you to be able to talk about it with some passion, man. We should be able to because they are matchless, matchless in their value. Because nobody can take them from you. A storm can't take them from you. A fire can't take them from you. Hard times can't take them from you. The the evil deeds of people can't take them from you. Eternal peace, joy, and love in Christ is yours. And man, it's more precious than any jewels you could ever get your hands on. Hmm. Amen. Now, let's, let's look at 15 through 20, and I'm, and I'm gonna show you a way that, that love may be buried just beneath the surface here, but I want us to see it. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things Pondering them in her heart. That was a good response, by the way. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. So, as I, you know, the shepherds rushed, they confirmed this wasn't a group hallucination, uh, and, and they, they found the exact sign they were told that they would, and then, and then they shared the details of this incredible angelic. Announcement and, and everyone present, we see it's recorded that they respond how everyone everywhere should respond to this good news. They respond in wonder and amazement. And friends, I know it's been a wild couple of years um, and sometimes this time of year can feel even more frantic and I'm just asking you, I'm pleading with you to do whatever is necessary to slow down for a minute, really consider these things and ask God to renew in you once again True wonder and amazement at what the Christmas story is pointing us to, what it's about—that God Himself took on flesh, allowed Himself to be born in an animal pen to come and save you from your sins. It's incredible. There, no, no response less than wonder and amazement is appropriate, and even those fall short. Amen. In verse 20, we see what what may be a somewhat hidden but absolutely vital manifestation of the love of God in all of this. What what do I mean? The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as, as had been told them. Here's what I want you to see. These guys, as a result of this angelic announcement, they get, to, they get to hear heaven's chorus sing glory to God on the highest, peace on earth with men to, with whom God is pleased. They, they get to go and see the baby in the manger. They get to talk to Mary and Joseph. And, and what is their response? They went back glorifying and praising God. And here's, there's, there's this problem that happens sometimes within, I would say within the household of faith, uh, different faith traditions, I'm saying within Christianity, within orthodoxy, there's this false dichotomy that gets set up sometimes. It's a real, real bummer. And it would, it would keep us from maybe seeing the connection here of why I think the love of God shines through in verse 20. That the shepherds go back praising and glorifying God. Here's the false dichotomy that gets set up sometimes. Um, or False dilemma, if you know, you don't use dichotomy every day. This false dilemma that gets set up. It's like pe- people, people, and I don't know, there's all reasons why someone would, would get hooked into this. They'll, they'll argue, well, the, the most important attribute and the reason God, of God and, and, the, and the reason why he did everything was for his glory, was for his glory. Now, I want you to know, I, I agree with that. Well, not the most important attribute part, but that God did everything for his glory. Yes and amen. The Bible says that plainly. If you don't know that or you don't like that, you got to check yourself. God did all that he did for his glory, but he's not a narcissist, and I'm going to show you why. Because God also did everything he did because of his great love. And those two are not in contention with each other, but sometimes people will put them in contention. Oh, no, no, well, God's, God's glory is the most important attribute. Well, no, 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 God's, God's love is the most important attribute. You can almost guess the personality types that pick which one they pick. Right? Can't you? You can. You can. You know what I'm talking about. But here's, here's what I'm saying, man. We can't, we can't pit... We can't pit the the, the character and the attributes of God against each other because of our personality types. That's foolish. Because they they are not in opposition. And what what do I mean when I say that? These guys got got to hear this angelic announcement. They got to hear the the fruition of God's plan of redemption in in the birth of Christ here. And, And what is it? Here's my point. All that God did here... Yes, what were the angels singing? Glory to God in the highest. They weren't singing, God loves mankind very, very much and you're worth it and you're special in God's eyes. No. Glory to God in the highest and peace to men with whom he is pleased. Right? Here's, here's, Here's really what I'm saying is all that God did in Christ, is all that God did at all, right? Is it, is it for his glory or is it because of his indescribable love for us? Yes. Yes, to all of that. Absolutely it is. And you may be somebody that has a personality type that means you like the glory of God stuff better or you may be somebody that likes the love of God stuff better. Here's what I want you to see. Go- I can tell how loved these guys were by God because they left glorifying and praising God. Why am I saying that? Why is it not narcissistic for God to be so concerned with his glory? Because if you were created for God, if the only place you're ever going to have that hope, peace, and joy, if the only place you're ever going to be able to function the way you were actually made to is in relationship with this perfect God, then for him to glorify himself, to take your precious little face and focus your eyes upon him, the very source of life and hope and joy and peace for you, for him to do that, is the single greatest act of love he could possibly do. For him to glorify himself is him to love you. Because we get distracted by little futile lesser things. We make them gods and we're fools oftentimes. So whenever God glorifies himself, whenever he does the equivalent in our lives of boom, an angel pops up and... You now have my attention, right? When he glorifies himself, and he, and he does it all kinds of ways. He does it when we're gathered here singing together, when the word is preached, when you're sitting alone praying in your room. God glorifies himself constantly. He does it in the stars. He does it in, in creation. He does, he does all these things because it, all of it should lead to our eyes and our hearts being focused upon him. And the greatest, most loving thing he can do is to make himself big in our, in our eyes and in our minds and in our hearts because we need him. We always have. Amen. Let, let me read you this in case you're like, well, all that sounds good. I don't know though. A lot of times, one of the texts that would get people riled up about particularly the, all like all of this is for God's glory and to, to talk about it being um, about his love equally, that that's like, ooh, no, 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 we don't do that. Well, okay. Ephesians 1. Okay? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace with which he favored us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings according to the riches of his grace. Friends, the glory of Christmas, the, 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 the fact that every year, hopefully, our hearts and minds are being, are being brought back to this focus on the idea of Advent, that Christ has come and is coming again, for God to glorify himself in every way that he does is the single most loving thing he can do for you. God brought Christ, yes, to glorify himself, but undoubtedly also because of his great love for us. A matchless love. A love that, a love that to, to grasp it, even, even to grab the ends of it and begin to understand it, 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 should, it should lead us to bended knee. Joyous, bended knee. Recognizing that a God like this, this glorious and this loving is the only one that's going to be worthy of our worship. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you for Luke, for Dr. Luke, the historian. Thank you that you inspired him by your spirit to give specific details so that so we have reason to know that your scripture, it stands apart from other literary works. This is not the same thing. These events happened. They happened in a certain time, a time that can be verified. Thank you, Lord, that though we are saved by faith, that faith is the vehicle, Lord, that, that, that brings us into grace and, and the mercy which you provide. That, that we walk by faith and not by sight. That to have faith doesn't mean we have to not be thinking people. Thank you that we can use the mind you gave us. And we can see the brilliance of all that you've done. Some of it, we can see the edges of it, surely. <clears throat> Lord, may we stand in awestruck wonder <laughs> how strategic and brilliant you really are. And Lord, I thank you. I thank you for um, sending an angel to shepherds, for what that means, for what it means to me, what it means to me specifically. She you would go to some blue-collar shepherds first. Thank you that when you told them they'd find a baby <clears throat> in a feed trough, they did. I thank you, Lord, that they left there that day praising and glorifying you. And Lord, I ask that for us today, that as we've spent time in familiar scriptures, ones that many of us have read many, many times, that we would be renewed again a sense of wonder at the beauty and the glory and the love we see in your gospel. Please help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give...